Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, he met ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Very much this is the word of God. Father, open up our hearts, open up our minds today, as we receive from your word what you have to tell us. Lord God, may we see ourselves in this, not just simply something good for other people, but spur us on to more and greater good works and greater degrees of holiness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you be seated? Thank you. So, this passage today, it is primarily about how Christ is more than a healer. But there's a secondary point of thankfulness and gratitude. The big shock is how nine out of the ten did not come back to thank Jesus. You know, gratitude is a lost art. Gratitude towards each other is a lost art. But gratitude towards the Lord is almost a non-existent issue. Over the next four weeks, I aim to present to you four different examples of thanksgiving. I'm calling this series The Lost Art of Gratitude. Because during this time, it's important for us to focus on what we have instead of what we don't have. Each example will be somebody who is thankful for something different, but all of it is aimed towards gratitude towards God for giving us such a great salvation. Today is thankful for healing. I think that's my next slide, isn't it? Thankful for healing. Believe it or not, we are not in the Yuletide season yet. I can't tell you this week how many posts I saw on Facebook and Twitter talking about how October's gone, now it's time to break out the Mariah Carey. All I want for Christmas is But wait a minute, wait a minute, there is a holiday between October 31st and December 25th. It is November 25th, Thanksgiving. You know, it's funny, too. So you look into the origins of different holidays, and there's some contention around Christmas. There's some contention around, um, of course, Halloween being All Saints Day or, or Easter. But you know what's truly uniquely Christian holiday? Thanksgiving. Amen. There's no other source other than to be thankful for God that you have what you have. Amen. It is also uniquely American. It originates in America. The... the uh, the Puritans, when they came over, of course, the Plymouth, uh, the Plymouth uh, colony is, is the origin of Thanksgiving. But even if it wasn't rooted in deeply spiritual, deeply religious people, there is something powerful about it in a Christian way, in that we give God glory for what He has done. Now, because... Because this is a time where we, we give God glory and we are thankful for what we have instead of what we don't have, of course it's attack. In fact, we talk about the attack on Christmas, the attack on Thanksgiving is almost complete. And the Christmas decorations go up almost like October 25th. In fact, if retailers had their way, 
It'd probably be Christmas July through July. <laughs> Non-stop Christmas. But before that, why don't we focus on what we should be thankful for? Do you live a life of gratitude? Or rather, is your life marked by thankfulness? Or do you take part in America's true favorite pastime, not baseball, but complaining? Do people in your life know you as somebody who is content or somebody who complains? We know the difference between um, gratitude and ingratitude. Around Christmas, I guess I'm going back to Christmas here, um, go on YouTube and type in, in ingrate. And you will find video after video of somebody giving like their, 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 their kid, like 10, 9, 8 years old, like the latest iPhone, which is like $1,000. And the kid opens it up and all of a sudden the excitement turns to rage and anger and sorrow because I wanted the red and you gave me the black. You don't love me at all. <laughs> How about first world problems? <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about? We are drowned in an ocean of common grace in America. Each and every one of us lives better than the kings of the past. You want Chinese food? Go downtown. Excellent Chinese food restaurant. Our ancestors? For passage to China. We'll see if you get there in your lifetime. Maybe your grandkids will. We are washed in such incredible common grace. Common grace of God is the grace that everybody receives. That you have these things, it's nothing very special, it's just the common grace, restraining grace of God. It's like, you know, the person who complains, well, there's nothing to drink in the house. We have no pop, we have no milk, we have no juice. It's like, oh, you mean other than the unlimited supply of clean water that won't get you sick? Do you understand what a miracle that is? You understand more people died of dysentery from drinking water in the Civil War than a bullet? But we can go to our faucet and drink all we want. You know, a quote that's attributed to Aesop of Aesop's fables is, Gratitude turns what we have into enough. Amen. Gratitude turns what we have into enough. This is true. A person who lives a life of gratitude is often happier. The believer who does this is, is incredibly blessed. And an ungrateful heart is a wicked thing before the Lord. This quote gets attributed to Albert Einstein, but I'm probably 90 to 99% sure he never said this, but it's a good quote. And it's this. There's two ways of looking at the world. One, nothing's a miracle. And that's the person, they can explain everything away. They look upon all the blessings they get, all the privileges they get, and they can't see the forest for the trees. And the other way to look at it is that though everything is a miracle. I choose to live my life that way. Everything is a miracle. The more I learn about God's creation, the more I'm like, what a mighty God we serve. I was listening to a lecture not terribly long ago on the illusion of solidity. I'm going to go with this real quick because I know it's nerdy. But anyway, our atoms don't touch the atoms of other things like this paper. My atoms aren't touching this paper. The atoms are too spaced out. They would just go through each other. There's actually an electromagnetic field. It's one of the four, funda one of the four fundamental laws of the universe. Um, you have an electromagnetic field that touches the electromagnetic field of what you're holding. And all I can say is, what a mighty God I serve. Amen. What a mighty God I serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. Gratitude turns what we have into enough. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ for you. Thankfulness is not a means to an end, 
It is an end. There is a blessing in gratitude. There is a blessing in thankfulness. And if you don't want it, then God's not going to force you to have it. And you can live a bitter, sad life. Or you can live a life of gratitude, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5.20 Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 18, 21 through 35, one day I'm going to preach on this parable. It's one of my favorite parables. It's about a man, a servant, who owes his, owes his master more than he possibly could repay. And the master forgives the debt instead of throwing him into prison. The man finds one of his fellow servants who owes him a little bit. The man can't pay, so he throws that man into prison. And the master comes back and he throws that man into prison where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because he is so ungrateful for the grace that he himself had been given. You know, if you are having trouble sleeping, count your blessings instead of sheep. Amen. I bet you can hear Bing Crosby's rich baritone right now. Count your blessings instead I can't do it. And, but seriously, we are so busy in our life with work, friends, family, entertainment, social activities. Do you make a practice to count your blessings? I try this in my own life. I try to do it on a daily basis. There are some times where I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of God I can't even believe. Because what do I deserve? What do I without Christ. When I know my own sin, I can look into the mirror of God's word and see what my sin deserves. But God has not only saved me, he has not only lifted me up to be an adopted son into his family, but then I have the wealth of other blessings in my life. A house, food to eat, more food than I can eat. In fact, the other day I was telling Becca, I was like, man, we have more movies than we'll ever watch. Oh my word, the blessings that we are awashed in. Oh, count your blessings instead of sheep. Sometimes when I find it hard, that sometimes when I do this, I find it hard to breathe, I'm overwhelmed. I like the verbiage of counting your blessings too. Why? Because it's a choice. You have to decide to count your blessings because naturally we don't do that. Naturally, we want to complain. We, if we were honest, we enjoy complaining. It's what Fraser said to Niles. Um, that the one thing better than a perfect meal is a, is a good meal with one little flaw you can pick at all you need. The writer of the Gospel of Luke is, of course, Luke the doctor. He must have been a man of gratitude. He wasn't one of the twelve. He never makes a claim to be a prophet or an apostle, but he was chosen by the Holy Spirit to give us the longest account of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. In his time, he was a doctor, and that shows in his writing there's a large focus on healings. But I really think the Holy Spirit used his analytical mind. When we read the Gospel of Luke, we are not reading one person's account, but a collection of other people's account, eyewitness accounts. This is more like a research paper with multiple sources. The principal commentary I used for today's sermon was from Walter Lyfield. Under the passage we read today, Lyfield remarks that it includes several, he calls it Lukean themes. I didn't realize you could just add an I-A-N and make something an adjective. So from now on, if I have something special to say, I was like, that's a Jason saying. Um, but I like that. Lukean themes, here's one, and just in this passage. Um, Christ's destination is Jerusalem. 
When you read the Gospel, especially the Gospel of Luke, it's all winding down to the final meeting in Jerusalem, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Mercy on the outcasts. He makes special mention of that he is not only a foreigner, but also a, but a Samaritan, and also, a, uh, and also somebody suffering of leprosy, the one who comes back. Conformity to Jewish norms. Jesus tells them to go see the priest. Faith and healing result in the glory of God and the worship of Christ. That is behind everything we'll read in the Gospels. It is for the glory of God and the worship of Jesus Christ. Last week I talked about the last of the five solas. Sola de Gloria. Glory to God alone. All healing, all the things that happen in our life, well up to the glory of God alone. Everything in your life is meant not to terminate in and of itself, but to well up to the praise and worship of God and to His glory alone. A person who is growing in faithfulness to Jesus Christ grows in gratitude towards Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, as we go through this passage, I want us to take special note of three things. One, the lepers. Two, Jesus is more than a healer. And three, thanksgiving. You can open up your Bibles. We will be in... And this is every week, by the way. Um, we start with our scripture and we go through our scripture. I preach the scripture. I don't preach my own thoughts, my own feelings. I don't use the scripture as a, as a board to jump into things I want to talk about, but I teach it from the scriptures. Verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Before Jesus meets the lepers, he's doing something that would have been taboo in his time. They didn't want to even go between, they thought even walking between Galilee and Samaria would make you unclean. They hated the Samaritans that much. Hopefully you remember the history of Samaria and the Samaritans is this, they saw them as half-breeds. And I use that offensive term on purpose because that's how they felt. There was incredible racial strife between Israelites and the Samaritans. It goes all the way back to the divided kingdom. And there's actually a time in the divided kingdom, you have the northern kingdom of Ephraim, the southern kingdom of Judah. In your Bibles, are also just called the northern kingdom of Israel, but it also calls it Ephraim. It's a little easier to understand when you separate the two. Ephraim aligns itself with Israel, with the southern kingdom of Judah's enemies, and God prophesies over them that they will be destroyed and they will never return. And they never do. They are completely wiped out. Samaria, and then they, the, the land that was the northern kingdom of Israel becomes Samaria, and Jews would not even walk between Galilee and Samaria. Of course, Jesus, he doesn't care. He's used to walking between two much larger worlds than Galilee and Samaria. He walks between heaven and earth. Amen. Verse 12. And as he entered a village, he, met, um, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance. The, the term leprosy comes from the uh, Greek word uh, lepros, which means scaly. And it's a reference to what the skin looks like. It could mean different kinds of skin conditions, but as we see these lepers are standing at a distance, this is the bad leprosy. This is the leprosy that's talked about in Leviticus, that if you wake up one day and you find your skin turning white and scaly, you then have to stand at a distance from everybody Leave the town you're in. Go to a special colony. If you see somebody who doesn't have it, you're shut out. Unclean! Unclean! Leprosy is old. It's long even before the times in the Bible. 
It is mentioned many places in the Bible. You have the commander, Nahum, who Elijah told to dip in the Jordan. Uzziah, the righteous king of Judah, becomes proud, and God curses him with the disease until he dies. Maybe most famous is Moses' sister, Miriam. She gets in Moses' face and says some very unkind words about him and about his wife. Some, frankly, very racist things. And God strikes her with leprosy, and Moses prays for her to be healed. A person with leprosy was commanded, um, was commanded by God to leave the community, to live outside and isolated. This saved the community, but for the individual, this doomed them to a very lonely, lonely life. The fact that one Samaritan, nine Israelites are hanging out, tells you the isolation that they lived in. That even those barriers of racial prejudice came down because of the incredible isolation. Briefly, I want to talk about leprosy and the human body, what it does. Leprosy is an infectious disease that causes severe, disfiguring skin sores and nerve damage in the arms, legs, and skin areas around the body. Leprosy has been around since ancient times. We believe actually all the way to uh, the first couple of dynasties of Egypt because we found uh, mummies with leprosy in them. Leprosy is also known as Hansen's disease. It isn't, um, it isn't that contagious, but you are able to catch it by close proximity um, or contact with the nose or mouth droplets of someone um, with untreated leprosy. I probably shouldn't say this, but it's funny because we were just told the last like year and a half that being around somebody who has a certain disease and if you get you know, sprayed on by your droplets and stuff like that, you'll automatically get something. But this other article by the Who says that that's not the case. Anyway, uh, children are more likely to get leprosy than adults. Today, about, this surprised me, 208,000 people worldwide are infected with leprosy, according to the World Health Organization. Most of them are in Africa and Asia. About 100 people are diagnosed with leprosy in the U.S. every year, mostly in South California, Hawaii, and some U.S. territories. Leprosy primarily affects the skin, but it causes, the big problem is it causes nerve damage. You lose feeling. In fact, one researcher, and I'm afraid I forget his name, um, found out that the main problems, the infections that people get, losing fingers and toes and other body parts, isn't really due to the disease itself. It's that the person stops taking care of themselves because they can't feel it. You, get a, you know, if you get a scratch and it gets infected, you feel it. It hurts. You then attend to it, you disinfect it. If you have leprosy, you don't feel it. And then it grows and it grows and it grows until you lose... Um, finger, fingers and toes and, and so on and so forth. It does attack different things. It does cause those rashes. It does, uh, it affects, it can attack um, the vocal cords. Um, in fact, mostly it does attack the vocal cords and you get a raspy, gravelly voice. It results in muscle weakness, loss of feeling in the arms and legs, nerve damage. Um, in fact, many people lose their eyesight because um, one, one person I was reading about would wash their face with a scolding hot rag. They couldn't tell how hot it was. So they ended up losing their eyes by, by doing that. Worst of all in all these things, especially in Jesus' time, nobody would touch somebody with leprosy for fear of infection. It was such a lonely, lonely existence. Verse 12 mentions that the leper stood at a distance. No one wanted to touch a leper for fear of contamination. Also, it made you ceremonially unclean, and that was something a big problem. Many rabbis, of course, they wouldn't go even buy a leper 
because they didn't all want to be ceremonially unclean. It took a big process to become to be to be ceremonially clean. The leper, according to Levitical law, was supposed to stand at a distance and shout, "Unclean, unclean!" Can you imagine not being touched in your life? Babies are at a higher risk of SIDS if they are not held and touched on a regular basis. But Jesus touched lepers. In Luke chapter 5, there's a leper there, and Jesus touches the man. That's because touching Jesus doesn't make him unclean, it makes you clean. So many people don't want to come to church. Maybe there are people who aren't in church today, and they're like, I don't want to come in there because people are going to judge me. I like to tell people, they don't, they don't know you enough to judge you. And here's the thing, too. I don't care how good you look today. I don't care how fancy you seem or how morally upright you are. All i got to do is look at the cross. And I know you have nothing to boast about. I have nothing to boast about because you can look at the cross. If I could be righteous on my own, there wouldn't be a cross. If you could be righteous on your own, there wouldn't be a cross. If we could just be righteous on our own... God did not have to send the Son, whom He loved, to die a sinner's death. But when we look at the cross, we are all sinners before Him. And sometimes we hold on to the shame of our former life. And we think, I don't want to come to church because I'm going to make the pastor, I'm going to make people there, I'm going to make Jesus Christ Himself unclean. It's like the woman with the issue of blood who who was afraid to say that she touched Jesus because she didn't want to admit that she just made Him unclean. But touching Jesus doesn't make Him unclean, it makes you clean. Verse 13, this is what they say to him. And lifting up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Master and mercy. The word master here doesn't occur anywhere else in the New Testament. It's generic, but it's respectful. It doesn't, it does show some type of faith, but not a saving faith. This would like this would be like those who recognize Jesus as a good man and a good teacher. It does not necessarily confer to him worship. And I want to narrow in on the word mercy here. They didn't ask for healing. They asked for mercy. Mercy, if you remember, is not giving what you deserve. They believed, and their community believed, they deserved leprosy. That's a tough burden to be under, right? You know, there, there are some unfortunate churches who have a bad theology of sickness, and they still believe that if you get sick, that's God's judgment on you. I remember, I mean, I, I attended a church like this. I remember one time, and I had a cold. I remember the whole morning, like, gritting my teeth because I didn't want to cough because I knew I was going to get a whole bunch of people around me. They believed that this was, this, this is what they deserved. So they were asking for mercy. And Jesus doesn't make any, any, any statement of their sins needing to be forgiven for them to be cured of leprosy. Um, we are to assume then that this is just a result of living um, in a sinful world. It could have been the judgment from God, but that's not um, But that's not where, where Christ goes with this. They were sinners before God. They needed a spiritual cleansing. But what I want to get into this is that you as a believer, you do not suffer under the punishment of God. You, suffer, you live under the loving discipline of our Savior. You do not suffer under the punishment of God. You live under the loving discipline of our Savior. So nobody says God is punishing you when something bad happens in our life. I I talked this morning in Sunday school, just thinking about this. Um, 
this morning when you woke up, there was billions of creatures trying to get inside of you to make you sick. You know this? Bacteria? And every now and again, they get a victory and we get sick. And we're like, God, why am I getting sick? I thought I was doing everything right. Instead of being thankful for 364 other days where we're not yes. sick, of the grace of God in our life, believer, you, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. What we, are, what we experience, assuming it's not just a result of living in a fallen world, is then discipline, which is loving and results in our growth. Even for these men, it wasn't God's wrath. It was life living in a fallen world. Share a story real quick about a priest over in um, Hawaii named Father Damien. He was a priest at a leper colony. So when I went to Hawaii, I didn't tour any of the leper colonies. I, I didn't know they existed. They must not have been on Oahu. Um, so we served there, and um, just like many other places in the world, they separated um, the lepers to a, an island of their own, and it was, it, was, it, was, it was horrid, it was hopeless, because all of them knew you're basically how you're going to die. They didn't do things like basic sanitation, like many things. When Father Damien got there, he set up schools, built houses, and he would, he would try to preach the word of God to the people there. And he was so, he was saying taken aback by the incredible licentiousness, like delving into sin. Because the idea was, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And they're like, you don't understand. You're not one of us. And one Sunday, he rolls up his sleeves to reveal one of the sores of leprosy. And he says, I've become one of you. Father Damien is known now as the uh, martyr of charity. Jesus is more than a healer. Verse 14. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And they went, and they were cleansed. Everybody wants something out of Jesus. In Jesus' time, and frankly in our own too, everybody wants something out of Jesus other than the best of what he has to give. And it's truly the first sin, to be like God without relationship with God. George MacDonald, the... Uh, Big part of the inspiration for C.S. Lewis said this, Man finds it hard to get what he wants, because he does not want the best. God finds it hard to give, because he would give the best, and man will not take it. Jesus has more for the ten than just healing. But only one understands this. When Jesus tells them, go show yourself to the priest, he does so to tell, he doesn't tell them to be healed or rubs mud on their eyes or touches them like he does in other places. He tells them to show themselves to the priest as prescribed by the Jewish law. That's weird since they hadn't been cleansed yet. But when it comes to Christ, understanding can wait, obedience can't. Amen. If they were to decide, no, we're not going to do that, I, mean, I don't know if they'd be cleansed or not, I, I would assume, no. But obedience, understanding can wait, obedience can't. And this is about obedience according to God's law. This is an interesting law because I imagine before Jesus' time, it really didn't have much use. It was a Levitical law that if a leper was cleansed, they then go to the priest, the priest inspects them, offers the certain sacrifices, and then they're allowed to come back to the community. Before Jesus' time, not a lot of people with leprosy were healed. In fact, we have just a couple standouts in the Old Testament. So it's a law, it's like weird. Why is that then in the Levitical law? But so the priest would know when Messiah is here. All of a sudden, you're being inundated 
Nine, nine lepers come in for me to check out. They would then know, they would have proof that the Messiah was here. And what a sad state it is, the spiritual blindness and ingratitude that the chief priest says Jesus struck on the mouth. Jesus does what he wants. So in Luke 5, Jesus touches the leper to heal him. And in this one, he tells them to go see the priest, and they're healed, they're cleansed on the way. We get awfully formulaic when it comes to the supernatural. There are people who write books about claiming your healing and keeping your healing, how to drive out demons, how all of these things, and, and most of them, honestly, have no basis in the scripture and should just be discarded completely, if not completely preached against. It's ridiculous. It's man-made wisdom. It's the doctrine of demons. Because what we have in the scripture is God does what he wants when he wants to heal. Can you imagine if the one met the ten? And they're talking, and they're like, you know, I was a former leper. He's like, I was a former leper too. Isn't it amazing? Jesus came, he touched me, and I was healed. The other ten, they're like, he just told us to go see the priests. Can you imagine if the one is like, well, then you didn't get a real healing. He has to touch you. (laughs) You're going to lose your healing if you don't go back and find him and touch him. Jesus does what he wants because, uh, because he's not tamed. He is not a genie. I've been uh, re-listening to the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, Focus on the Family has awesome audiobooks on them. And one thing I love about the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, the the Christ figure, who's a lion, Mm -hmm. it says time and time again, he's not a tame lion. Mm -hmm. He's not a tame lion. Mm -hmm. Which I like that because I was like, what is a tame lion? I can't tame my, my house cats. (laughs) <laughs> the one thing I can do and it's awesome I totally got them to do if I whistle they know it's time for food so they come running <laughs> Jesus isn't a house cat you can whistle for him to come running to go get food he's not a tame lion Christ is about his purpose not our purpose his purpose is to come and to seek and to save that which was lost his purpose was more than healing like so. Like salvation is more than just going to heaven. It's to be with Jesus. This is really... Many people will almost kind of denigrate that aspect of it to talk about the other fringe benefits we get in salvation, like healing. Really, I'd say healing is just the foretaste of the greater salvation, of what we have to look forward to in Jesus Christ. He's more than a healer. Ten are healed, but only one is saved. This is a story about healing, yes, but also, uh, but also, it's about what is discovered in the healing. There is something in here, us the readers, we don't see. One of them is being is being healed, being cleansed of spiritual leprosy. He's the one who comes back and is thankful before God. And this healing will not last just another 10, 20, 30 years until he dies like the other nine. It will be eternal. Verses 15 through 19. Then one of them, when he saw that he was cleansed, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. If you're forgiven much, you love much. Why does the one come back and the other nine don't? He realized something they didn't, that that they could have received much more than healing, but forgiveness of their sins... And because he was forgiven much, he loves much. Next week I'm going to talk about a woman who is caught in sin, who is forgiven by Christ. So she comes to the house he's at, weeps on his feet, mops up the tears with her hair, anoints his feet with oil, 
Jesus says of her, the one forgiven much, loves much. He realizes he's been forgiven much. So verse 15 and 16, verse 16 here, And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. He's the one. Let's look at what the one does. He praises God. That is a correct and right response when God does something in our lives. When we read through Revelation, the one thing that should really stand out to us, every time God does something, it's a party in heaven. They fall on their faces, they praise God, they sing songs. It is a right response for every good thing God does in our life. It's a correct and right response when God does something in our lives. God, you got up this morning, praise God. You have food to eat, praise God. Salvation, can I hear an amen? Praise God. Everything else, I mean, man, alive, is there so many things we should be thankful for? I mean, even the petty things, right? How about just, I mean, I talk about entertainment, like we have more movies than we can watch. I mean, man, that's something I didn't have growing up. We had PBS. I remember watching, like, Doctor Who and not being able to talk about it with, like, friends and, like, neighbors because they had no clue what I was talking about. It's like, man, he really ran fast that night. They're talking about Chandler and things like that. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Man, do we have a lot to praise God over. He praises God in a loud voice. One of the effects of leprosy is that it destroys your voice. So with his restored voice, the first thing he does is he uses a loud voice to praise God. There's a poem that says, you know, I, 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 thought, I, was, I thought I was bad off, then I met a man with no legs. I, I, I complained about the shoes I had, then I met a man with no legs. I complained about the gloves I was wearing, then I met, met a man with no hands. You've been given a voice to praise God. You've been given hands to lift up in, in, in worship. You've been given feet to proclaim, to go and proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ in this world. One of the effects of leprosy that once destroyed has now been restored, so he, he now uses it to praise God. Worship. How about this? He falls at Jesus' feet. This is an act of worship. And what does Jesus say? Does he say, get up, I'm only a man? That's what the disciples say when people do that. Get up, we're only men. No, no, Jesus receives worship. Here is one of thousands of it of times in the New Testament where Jesus receives worship. Amen. That's important. Somebody, I, I saw a clip this, uh, this last week of somebody asking one of these um, street preachers, he was a Muslim, he says, where in the New Testament does Jesus ever say he's God? So many places. Here's one. I and the Father is one, are one is yet another one. They were going to stone him to death for that one. He worships. And Jesus says, get up, I am just a... You know, he does not say that. No, Jesus stands there and he receives this man's worship. See what I mean when I say something happened um, that we can't see? This man's flesh may have been remade, but it has nothing compared to his spirit and his soul that has been remade. Luke wants us to know he's a Samaritan, and Jesus calls him a foreigner. Why, I told you before, an outcast, he's an outcast twice over, three times over, if you consider him being a foreigner, a Samaritan, and a leper. Not part of God's people. Why did Jesus call him a foreigner? Luke uses the term for foreigner that is used on ancient inscription. It is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. It's allogenous. 
It occurs only here in the New Testament, but it also occurs on an ancient inscription at the temple that was actually unearthed by archaeologists. It's called the Sorge. The Sorge was a placard on the temple, and it told people, if you're a foreigner, you only get to go so far. If you're a foreigner, you can't go into the inner gates. You can't worship with the other Jews. You're not part of God's people. You're not part of God's plan. So stay out. These would be the God-fearers who would be there. You'd read about that in the New Testament, the God-fearers. And there was always this barrier, even to the worship of the true God of heaven and earth. The Sorge made this apparent. In fact, the exact words are this. No stranger is to enter within. No stranger, no allogenius is to enter within the palisade, round the temple, and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. So they were serious. Like, they'd, they'd kill you if you went a little too far. And they're like, it's your own fault. This man, because he's a Samaritan, because he's a leper, he cannot go to the temple. He cannot go into the inner gates. He cannot go into the holy place. And only the high priest could go into the holy of holies. But he, the Holy of Holies, was, was believed where the Spirit of God dwelled. But the Spirit of God dwelled, had not dwelled there in a long, long time. Ichabod had been proclaimed, not Ichabod praying with like, the Holy Horsemen. Ichabod means the glory of God has departed. The glory of God had departed that temple. They were making their sacrifices and all of that in vain. When the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, there was nothing there. But this leper found the one whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Amen. He found the holy of holies. This is the biggest thing we take for granted in the church. We come in here, we raise our hands, and we are now invited into the holy of holies. Because this is God's temple now. God has decided to dwell in the hearts of men and women who have put their faith in him and that he has regenerated by the power of his Holy Spirit. So that's the one. What about the many? Verses 17 and 18. And then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? The men, Jesus asked, Were, were not ten cleansed? Where, where are the other nine? I have the same question. Where are they? Why do so people who experience the goodness of God come back to worship Him? Why do so many people who grow up in church... Now, some part of my, my background, my family didn't grow up going to church. Broken home at the age of five, just my mom and five kids. My family did not grow up being church people. So I would grow up, when the Lord saved me, I would see families, and I would see such good families, and I'd see kids throwing that away... It would break my heart. It's like, do you know what I would give for that? There is a deep hurt when your father's not in your life, and to see somebody with a godly father who spits on him. The many, I always wonder this, why is it so few who experience the goodness of God come back to thank him? All passed through the Red Sea, all ate bread from heaven, and most died in the desert. In the New Testament, 5,000 are fed, 4,000 here, leopards are cleansed, wounds are healed, the blind see, and the crowd still shouts, crucify him. God's promise was not to all of Israel, but to the remnant. 
And this right here, this story is a microcosm of just that. That that narrow is the is the path that leads to eternal life. Wide is the gate that leads to to eternal damnation. Most will not come back and praise and thanks God. Most take the grace of God for granted. Even those of us who have been believers for a very long time, we take the grace of God for granted. We complain when we should praise. We spend entire days without coming back to the Master to fall down at His feet and give Him glory. Even in the church, sometimes all we want is the healing and we don't want to come back for the greater spiritual blessings. I, I, you may remember this story. I was in Africa. And uh, we were uh, ministering at this school and one of the cooks sees we're pastors and she, she can like barely walk. She has a cane and she really needed crutches. She just barely gets over to us, and she asks us to pray for her. It's cool, there was three of us. It was uh, me, my former senior pastor, Terry Demas, and Bob Van White, who's one of our missionaries here. And uh, she asks us to pray for us. Bob prayed for her, and she started feeling a little bit better. Terry prayed for her, and she could start walking around a little bit. I prayed for her, and she was skipping onto the uh, onto the thing. Now, it's not me, it's the glory of God there. We all three prayed for her. But what I'm trying to get at here is another gal came by, and uh, she, uh, she, she needed prayer for healing, she needed prayer for a new job, and we prayed for her, and then we wanted to talk to her about Jesus Christ and about attending the church. She didn't want anything to do with it. She walked away like, while we were still talking. I was like, I, I turned over to Bob, and Bob's like, how kind of is here? People know that there's power, there's supernatural power in healing, but they know that they can just get the healing, they can just get this, and they can still walk away. I remember thinking at the time, no, no, no they can't. You know, I wanted to argue, I didn't argue. Then you read about the ten lepers, right? Nine of them don't come back. At the very end of this, verse 19, And he said to him, Rise and go your way, your faith has... Made you well. The phrase made you well is one word in the Greek, in the Koine Greek, the language the New Testament's written in. It's the word sozo. The word sozo. And it's actually a word that's used 93 times for actually spiritual salvation when Jesus talks to, uh, to the woman, uh, when he talks um, to the woman we'll talk about next week, um, who, who uh, anointed his feet with her tears. He says, go, your faith has saved you. And it's the same phrase. Your faith, sozo. Your faith has, um, your, your faith has saved you. Here it is made well. And uh, I, like many others, not just me, pastors like John MacArthur, believe really should be translated as saved here as well. Why? Because... The, the writer, the gospel writer, Luke, has now used two different words for healing and cleanse earlier in this passage. So he's not using so-so as for physical healing, even though it could mean physical healing or really to be made whole. More than physical healing, to be made whole. Here, I believe it should be, your faith has saved you. This man has received much more than healing. He has received salvation. No doubt, Luke, adding on, Adding on, adding on to the play of words, of all ten received physical salvation, but only one received eternal salvation from the sin. Worship team, would you please come up at this time? We'll be ending today's service with our final song. I've got a challenge for you today. Obviously, we need to examine our lives. 
and to decide, how am I being ungrateful to the Lord? How can I live in a greater way, a life of gratitude, when it comes to healing in my life? But i got something specific this week. This week, once a day, I want you to share with somebody else healing that you are thankful for, that God has done in your life or in somebody you've lost life. You should have no problem, you know, seven days finding something that comes up with this. If you post it online, I'd encourage you to do that on Facebook, Twitter, Gab, so on and so forth. I'd love for you to use the hashtag thankful for healing, number four, thankful for healing. I think it's just awesome to proclaim during this time how we are thankful for the healing touch of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have so much to be thankful for in this church, right? All of you at least have one you can do this week because you were here, no, you have two this week, you were here, hopefully, when we had our testimony and you heard about how Phil Biddle was supposed to die of pneumonia, but God saved him. You also heard how Pastor Alyssa conceived, Pastor Curtis and Pastor Alyssa conceived and will now have a baby dealing with barrenness for quite a while, for a number of years. You have two. So you just have to figure out five others. It's easy. Sometimes we only think, only if it's not the big thing, then it doesn't count. So I was praising God this morning in my own prayer time, and so I was thinking, I was like, God, I'm not going to think of that. I want to think of the little things. And I was reminded of a time where I had an abscess tooth, which, by the way, is terribly painful. And I was up all night long, and in the morning we had a church service. I was a teenager, by the way. I was like, God, I could skip and sleep, but I'm going to go anyway. And I went to the I went to the service, and God healed me. Oh, abscess too. Glory to God. There's once again we are we are awashed in the ocean of, of, of God's grace and faithfulness. Would you please join us in prayer? I will end with a benediction. This is an opportunity not only just for us to examine ourselves, but then also for that to well up in thanksgiving and praise to God. I want to give you an opportunity to put this service, to put this sermon into practice today. Worship team, would you please lead us? Thy 